We're live. We're live. Ay, 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 ay. Ay, 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 ay. Ay, 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 ay. Hey, that was good. That was better than like, I want to say 90% of our guests. And not to put them down, it just, that was great. Practice in the mirror, you guys. Well, the last part of it is going to be much better. So she's going to beat the first one. Welcome to another episode of AI, where in the middle of the week, we are very thrilled about AI machine learning, or we're not so thrilled about machine learning because there's a whole lot to do and we are exhausted from it. We are, we are fascinated by data, but who's going to clean up the data? Uh, well, let's say there's a lot of work to clean up this data. Um, AI machine learning, we are here to learn more about it. What we knew yesterday about AI machine learning has already changed within the last 24 hours. So Amy mm-hmm. is our uh, guest of honor today who's going to bring the flavor that even me and Lucky cannot wrap our brain around. We're, we're just fascinated with the field of life science and biomedics and you know all, all the things that are happening in Amy's world that we would like to just take a glimpse at it. You know, We kind of want to get some understanding mm-hmm. of it. Uh, because Amy has written a paper on safety, security, and privacy uh, of AI machine learning development. And that's how we came to know Amy, because, you know, her her ability to contribute in that writing um, has been phenomenal. So, Amy, if you will, uh, make an introduction, please. Yeah, sure. Happy to be here. Um, really happy to talk about the effort on the privacy, safety, and security white paper for ACT-IAC, which is a group of really amazing people across government and industry, and sometimes even academia, that are uh, very collaborative and working toward the goal of providing frameworks for how to think about emerging technology and how to develop the kinds of thought leadership that we need in our government leaders, in our industry leaders for, you know, thinking about not just how do we respond to issues around like ethical AI or Mm -hmm. the internet of things or those other kinds of emerging technologies, but, but also how do we get ahead of them and how do we start putting processes in place that will allow us to build better, more ethical, more transparent technology for the future. Wow, that that's amazing. That and and we covered a few things prior and there's a lot of things that I plan on learning today. <laughs> it's sometimes you you sit back and you want to listen and so today I may sit back and just listen to you give us more detail about, you know, some of the experience you have. I know there's two areas uh specifically that I'm interested in. Um that you've had field study or that you're currently worked on or you've been part of. Um, and I don't want to jump into your background, but uh, there's specific areas that bleed over into uh, uh, machine learning. <laughs> if I can get the acronym, the actual transition, uh, right? Um, yeah, that you can help us understand better from your perspective. Yeah, sure. Um so I guess like my bias, I'm, I'm a biophysicist by training. So my PhD is in molecular physiology and biophysics. 
And so I come to technology in general from a very biological lens. Um, so a lot of that has to do with, um, so from a machine learning perspective, right, you've got classes of algorithms that are often applied to specific things, right? So you've got natural language processing, you've got your computer vision type algorithms, and those break down into a bunch of subpopulations. You've got old classical algorithms, regressions, and um, clustering models, and all a whole host of other, you know, simpler tasks. And a lot of that stuff converges in biology with different data types, different kinds of questions. So for example, um, you know, let's see, natural language processing models can be used to analyze data like genomics. So genomics data in general is going to be DNA sequences. So all of your cells are made, they are programmed, they are made up of DNA molecules, right? And so that's a sequence of letters at the end of the day, the way that we represent it from a data perspective. And so you can use natural language processing models to address parts of predicting sequences. There's a, uh, been a really huge push recently for protein sequences. So DNA makes proteins some of the time. And proteins are what make the biological world go round. So there's a whole host of really big machine learning models for predicting protein structure. AlphaFold is the biggest, probably most famous one. Um, they've been around for a hot minute, but AlphaFold has been extremely successful and it's publicly available, I believe. Um, so you can you totally play with it yourself, kind of like your dollies and your um your mind journey and like what else mid journey yeah yeah, yeah. and uh, stable stable diffusion yeah that's a fun one i played with that one myself recently um, no way so have i it's yeah it's what, were you, what were you doing with it well i was i did 1.4 okay. um and i know they've released 1.5 and 2.0 like last week but i i was i was practicing teaching mine how to um uh i wanted to do a matrix realistic version of a teddy bear fighting a cat okay, uh, yeah. neo versus and and versus morpheus and i i went through probably 2000 cycles before it finally started producing what i wanted and it was it's interesting i mean it was great i i enjoyed it it just is to see the ai develop for me was fantastic because typically you see things in numbers and sorry to go off on a tangent but to see things visually it, it takes you to a different space uh, as a nerd, you know, self-deprecating nerd. At the end of the day, we know we, we, we know we expect the outcome with our inputs and outputs. But to see something visual with color. Oh, man, that was fun. That was a lot of fun. They've been varying degrees of successful. Like I was trying to I was trying to produce some MRI data. So brain images and like wow. the first pass ended up looking more like Cthulhu. So I, that yeah. was slightly less <laughs> awesome. Uh, <Yeah>. but, <laughs> but like the more you train it, right, the better it yeah. gets. And that comes down to like availability of starter images and how you tune the hyperparameters mm -hmm. and, and all of that stuff, which for biological data turns out to be wow. basically the same problem as with any other kind of data. Mm -hmm. I think yeah. uh, I think as far as... <clears throat> Uh, people that are listening, you know, uh, 
for them to understand that whatever uh, reservation you had or whatever was holding you back into jumping into AI machine learning with your data sets, you must not, right? You must unleash that data into all these free resources that you have. If not all your data, at least a sample of it, at least that test case, at least a little proof of concept or MVPs that you can put together using just Google TensorFlow. You just... You just have so many free resources to utilize, right? Um, uh, hugging face, right? You know, you have just troves of knowledge that you can muster and bring your data set to that knowledge and say, how does it, How does my data set work with these data set? You know, data.gov. You don't have data? Go to data.gov and figure out what sort of one, one column that you can bring from your business and insert it into data.gov information and see what happens, right? So I, I am so fascinated by this free tools that we have available in 2022, where if you spoke of AI machine learning in 2012, people will ask you, like, how much does it cost? I think at this point, we can literally say, it costs you time and your knowledge, mm-hmm. right? It's not monetary anymore. It's more about, you know, what curiosity do you have that you want to expand? And how much time do you have to expand that curiosity? And then to say, how do I turn this into a business uh, for, for, you know, profiting my bottom lines, but also to serve the communities around the world, right? Um, because these AI technologies are reaching far corners of the world, right? Uh, depending on what sort of data sets you have and how you put it together and what kind of magic you want to make happen, right? Um, Matrix, Neo, Neo fighting, uh, who's Neo fighting? Morpheus? Uh, Morpheus, yes. This is is getting (laughs) ridiculous, right? Like Dali's examples are just amazing. You know, this is like people are coming up with banana on a shark and a shark on a top of the horse. It's just like all sorts of weird pictures people are coming up with. But what, what tells me is that these kind of free tools will give birth to so many mm-hmm. products that used to cost so much more than what AI will make it out to be, right? Um, marketing products like this free images, free videos, or videos that cost close to nothing to shoot, right? Um, you want to talk about a marketing a product and a commercial? Can you create a commercial for 30 seconds using all AI videos and images? I think you can. And once you do, how much would mm-hmm. that cost you? You know, you don't have to find a location to find a person in a house and a camera and the cameras to shoot all this product, uh, product uh, commercialized product. Um, you, you don't have to do all that. Just type it in. And there you go. There you have it. Right. Um, I just, I'm just putting out that one example that I think of over and over, which is to say, how do we reduce the cost of doing business with AI machine learning? If we don't know much about AI machine learning today, we don't have to develop one. It's already out there available for you to use. Maybe you have to pay a little bit. Um, Let's say, for example, one of the things that I look at is Document AI. Go to Microsoft 365 and rent an AI for $100 maybe. $100 will get you an amazing quality of AI that you cannot program or write a code against, right? This AI will do amazing things for you um, just off of PDF file taking information of a PDF file, sending you an email with what's in that PDF file, break that PDF file down to the ways that you need it on an email so nobody ever has to touch a PDF file, which I'll be very happy about not touching another PDF file ever again. 
Yeah. So I, I, in general, like I, I agree with you, but I do think that one, so one of the things that came out of the um, act IAC effort on the privacy, safety and security paper is that, you know, there's the, the old cliche of with great power comes great responsibility. Right. And I think that's super important here because a lot of the tools you're right. There are lots of free tools. You can teach yourself how to code um, for some machine learning models with, Easy, easy. If you if you already know how to script mm-hmm. at all, then it's a very low hanging fruit step to learn how to do machine learning with already programmed models, or go to something like Huggy Face and change a layer in a model that's already pre trained, right? But I think the um, yeah. one of the difficult things. So I think the answer to should you is yes and because there is a certain amount of um, like responsibility that comes with running any kind of code, whether there is machine learning in it or not. But I think the wrinkle that machine learning and particularly deep learning models adds is the complexity and the lack of transparency. You don't always know, especially if you're using a tool that's free online where the actual code is completely obfuscated, you have no idea what's happening in the layers and you won't have any idea what's happening in the deep layers even if you are a competent programmer yourself, that's how it works, right? The hidden layers are actually, in fact, hidden most of the time. And so you can't just troll through and figure out what's happening, even if you could. A lay person playing around with something on the internet definitely is not figuring out what all the transformations are that are happening in that data. So anytime you wanna you you wanna broaden your horizons, you wanna learn something new, you wanna figure out, you know, what everybody's talking about with this AI, machine learning, deep learning stuff. I am one hundred percent in favor with the caveat that um, the data that you bring to it, you should be comfortable being made available to whoever it is that made or owns that model and whatever the small print is that goes with it that you didn't read. Yeah, I, I completely agree. Can you guys hear me okay? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, I, I completely agree. And, 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 you know, taking responsibility for code uh, is important. You know, what, the, the, what you're developing. And at the end, you're going to have to learn. You know, it's going to take time, you know, before you start to understand what you're – because these models, like you said, they're, they're already out there. You know, if you want to put together some kind of forecasting model – they're there. You know, if you want to some kind of uh, machine uh, learning model against some data, you can take it and put it together. Like you said, with little time and effort of understanding of scripting, you can sit there and you can put together something. But at the end, what is the real benefit? You know, are you learning or are you giving somebody a real benefit of good data? At the end, you, you did mention a few things, you know, that lead me to what privacy is. And we covered this prior. You know, what is a responsible AI? What is privacy? Because from my perspective, I'm, and I'm a cyber guy, in the U.S., in America, privacy is almost like an afterthought. And our data, in some cases, is, is up to, you know, for still to the, the highest bidder, the lowest bidder, depending on how, you know, how, how recent or how current the data is. And so privacy, you know, is a, is a big concern when it comes to AI. You know, how is who's going to be the responsible party? How do we identify what's the actual, you know, what's the 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 middle ground where we say, okay, this here, as far as 
being responsible, t- taking um, the bull by the horns, making sure that security is applied, making sure the data set is protected. And what is the outcome of the AI at the end? Wh- what are we producing and who is seeing this data? There's a lot of concerns that I have with AI growing. And I know that I, I, I sometimes I tend to be pessimistic, but I'm a, I'm a pessimistic optimist. I, I want to see AI grow, but I do want to make sure that as it grows, that we're being responsible for the technology. Just like you said, you know, privacy is huge. How do you see, I think, what was the main concern that you identified with, with AI and privacy that kind of jumped out to you initially? So I think one of the things that um, we discovered working on the privacy part of the paper is just how many places, like how pervasive the question of privacy is, because it's it's basically your entire life is available on the internet somewhere, right? And not just not just the internet, you're walking down the street, there are street cameras, recording things, and maybe they're recording things for totally good reasons, but who has access to that data, right? And who has, like, what kinds of machine learning models have access to that data? So a lot, one of the things that we did when we were putting together the paper is we, we, you know, we typically write these things from the perspective of informing leadership about how to put together frameworks and guardrails and, you know, what, what do we need to be thinking about to get ahead of the problem instead of being so reactionary all the time. But we, we discovered like, you know, there are lots of places that we are not thinking about privacy that we should be. And that's setting up a bunch of possible reactionary issues later. And so one of them was devices, right? With the internet of things being deployed in all kinds of hardware all over the place, you have no idea most of the time where your voice might be being recorded. So that's one major angle is voice recordings. Uh, We don't have a whole lot of regulation in some places around when and what you're allowed to record, what kinds of disclaimers are required, what kind of consent is required for your voice or your image or your posture or your gait to be recorded. So you can imagine a future where, I mean, this is already happening. So even in in some of my research, um, you know, I was looking at modeling fruit fly posture, right? Okay, I'm a biologist, I study fruit flies, okay? So we're talking about like a pupil fruit fly, but even still, you know, I'm able to use computer vision models to you know, track some of the posture changes while the animal is moving. And you can imagine if you watch somebody walk down the street, you as a person are gonna recognize a lot of your acquaintances walking down the street because you know how they move, right? Oh, so that's something that you know we're we're totally not really thinking about all the places where devices are creating data that might be available and so we don't want to necessarily like get all paranoid and close all that off but we do want to help the people who are in the videos so that's any citizen walking down the street the people who are curating that information who are controlling that information who are responsible for the security and leadership you know to start thinking about where do we need to be paying attention that we aren't I think uh, in, in a discussion of, you know, you have that formulation time, right? You know, your ideation of what it is that you would like to engage when you want to develop a machine learning model. Um, you have to spend time in designing, time in development, and time in deploying it, but not all equally, right? 
I think there's an emphasis that needs to happen in designing phase where before you develop, uh, you have not, if, uh, if not everything on your checklist, most of the things in your checklist checked off to say, now we are comfortable with our due diligence to gain the development. And the, the, the reasoning behind it is that right now, as we stand, I think that research number shows that 83% of developed artificial intelligence and machine learning models does not go into deployment. And even the 17% that is being deployed, those 17% does not perform to the level that we anticipate the machine learning model should uh, perform it, right? Um, it's because, uh, if I may, uh, you know, because they don't do the breakdown of why the 83% doesn't go into deployment is because once they started development, they did not really emphasize what needs to go into the designing. And I believe people that are in the room, people that participate in that design phase, they were overconfident, if not underconfident, uh, overconfident about the fact that they had their due diligence right. Because what happens during development phase is that you come up with whole sorts of scenarios that of course you did not see in a design phase. You never will, because that's why you do development testing and validation. And in testing and validation, you're able to come up with scenarios that of course you cannot come up with a design phase. However, in design phase, these are the type of conversations that you need to have, is that safety, the security and the privacy. Who would most likely not want to be recorded, right? Uh, so if you develop somebody's ability to walk and capture uh, what sort of a body, uh, I, I guess, I, I don't know the right word for it, but you know, like you said, movement intelligence, right? From the movement intelligence, what sort of intelligence can you gather, right? From just by seeing somebody walk. Um, and when I was in the school, you know, Columbia University had uh, uh, a test that you know people will go and participate in, which they will walk in a treadmill. And just from that walk in the treadmill, they're able to give away all sorts of details about conditions in my whole body, right? Just the way I walk, just the way my, my ankle rolls, yeah. just the way you know my my whole body uh, is responding to every step I take. You know, um, so who would want to participate in that? Who would want to give away consent to have that done, right? Uh, who would be a, a beneficial to that, a beneficiary to that? And who would on the other side say, hey, there's a lawsuit pending uh, and, and, and I'm bringing it to the table, right? <laughs> so uh, designing is, is, is the, uh, the total cake at any point in my opinion, because we talk about continuous integration and continuous development once you deploy it. I think continuous designing is the third part of CD. Instead of continuous development, it's continuous designing. And I continuous design in my head is to say, we capture that due diligence, right? When it comes to that due diligence, we are able to mention that due diligence in time of lawsuit, time of shutting down the project if we have to, uh, why we shut down the project that costed us millions of dollars. Well, here's why, because our due diligence is lacked it or our due diligence said, just shut it down because that's not uh, what we as a company with ethics and uh, our principles will uh, want to be aligned with that machine learning model. Um, Continuous integration, however, uh, can help with that, right? First, you get a few data models that you brought in that was problematic, but now you're expanding as you're designing continuously, you're expanding that data set in order to include into the data models, uh, machine learning models. So that way you are able to do more, have more done and meet more 
of that due diligence that is required of you, right? Uh, healthcare industry, not even going to touch it. Just a simple basic manufacturing will tell you a lot about, uh, you know, how your design that you start on version one could drastically uh, increase in size by the time of version two, version three, and version four, right? Uh, manufacturing, you know, just off of a camera, you can do so much AI. But in manufacturing, you have tires, you have wheels, the tr transport trucks that are bringing in the goods and, and you know, capturing all sorts of data points to create a total data fabric for yourself will change over time, right? Those are the machine learning models. That's what they're supposed to do. You have continuous integration in order to continuously develop what it is that you start off with. So if your version one only had a camera, by version three and four, you're including tire pressure into that camera for some reason. You know, I can tell you why, but I don't have to draw out a picture here. Um, but you know, the cameras can do a whole lot in version one, but over time, that camera will be a single device that will uh, have multiple other devices providing the data sets into that um, uh, version one of machine learning. Um, so it's very important that you know these are scenarios that we can capture very well right off the gate. But safety, privacy, and uh, security is something that we still kind of lack as a developers, right? We have the developer mentality. As we design, we want to get to the development quick, right? It's kind of like, I don't want to be in the training forever. I want to actually do real stuff, like develop, right? Um, so I think it matters who's in the table, who's in the room, uh, bringing that discussion forward, right? You know, like somebody like Amy mm -hmm. would be would be that um I guess we call it a, a, a gatekeeper, right? Gatekeeper of like, look, privacy means privacy. When, when, when privacy is at point, we got to talk about it uh, with high due diligence and record that conversation, record that uh, due diligence that we have put in an effort. And we're writing down why this was brought up, but this is not a main concern. What are the thought process behind that due diligence? We have to have that baked into our design time. Right. Uh, we have to have that baked into cybersecurity, like, you know, uh, uh, Lucky will come in and say, yeah, guys, look, it's all binaries, bro. <laughs> you know, we've got to discuss it from cybersecurity perspective. Who can poison that data set and ruin our deployed AI model? Right. Who can poison it? And how can they poison it? And why should they poison it? What are their motivation and incentives? How do we remove those incentives and motivation? Right. And somebody like me will come in and say, well, safety. Right. Uh, safety, security, privacy are all baked into design is a design process that is well thought out, well captured, and very good for future deployment, I would say, um, because that could turn your project sideways if you're not designing well and designing for um, with due diligence. Yeah, so I think that's one of the things that uh, was a main was a, a main conclusion was um, that we need to start with a privacy by design approach. For, especially for anything that has data that could be used to um, identify another individual or that might help sort of uh, reverse engineer, you know, the data source if you're if you need to obfuscate it, if it's like public health data, for example, or something like that. So there are a lot of cases where um, it's going to be like super important to start out the gate with a privacy by design approach. But then at the end of the day, you're right, you know, continuous integration, continuous development and continuous design are gonna be crucial because in reality in a big organization, by the time you get through you know, design and then you put it through development and then you put it through QA testing and you actually launch or you know, ship it, then, it's, then, then your, your privacy by design approach is totally outdated, right? Because yeah. the guys on the other end that are looking to get that data are probably moving a little bit faster, right? So there's yeah. 
you know, when we, when we talk about, I love that we use the term agile for tech um, because it's, it describes the, the, the idea of parallelizing, you know, some of that work, but it's not actually that flexible, right? So <laughs> the, the, the synonym for, for agile is not like, it's not very flexible. You can't turn on a hair, right? If, if by the time you get halfway through development, you know, you're partway through a sprint, you realize, crap, this design is already hosed. You, it's not very easy to turn that ship around, especially for a larger product. And so, you know, the only the only mitigation for that, it like with everything else, is to do the best you can. Constantly be benchmarking, constantly be identifying new benchmarks, um, because the other thing that we don't want to do is have our testing setup get stale, right? And so that was one of the things that uh, that came out of our our privacy, security, and safety sort of melding between the three groups was where are the places that we have to start considering um, overlapping issues and the design layer of producing a new model architecture is one of the places where we had significant overlap in needs between the privacy, safety and security arms of that topic. And the other thing, like the only other thing that I, I thought was really interesting that we learned from that was, um, you know, identifying the stakeholders because one of the things that we don't do is include everybody in a conversation about artificial intelligence. You know, we've mm -hmm. got all of these hilarious conspiracy theories and, you know, <laughs> lots of, you know, Skynet. I mean, it's all over science fiction and every, like minority right. reports scare the hell out of people. <laughs> Um, and so, you know, there's, there's a whole lot of places where it's easy to latch on to something that is fantastical because you don't know any better. And so we have a responsibility to be educating while we are working on, you know, making better systems. We also need to be educating everybody and making things as transparent as possible. I, I think that when you mentioned conspiracy, like, um, I want to. I want to. I want to draw a picture to people about what we think is possible and what's the the, the layers of uh, impossible that happens before that possible actually comes to the surface. Uh, is a lot, right? So back in uh, when we went to the moon, uh, people discussed the fact that we have so much hardware. All we will do is travel to the moon and create a moon base and travel beyond moon and all these imagination for 70 some years they held on to, right? Um, what actually happened, right? 70 years later, we, did, we stopped shooting rockets at the moon. We stopped sending people even to the space. Like the United States literally said 2014, it costs too much. We're not going up there anymore, right? Uh, until just recently, they, they brought that program back. You know, the, we said, you know, we, we have to invest because the satellites are going up there. But whatever the case was in 1960, when they saw the rocket launching towards the moon, our imagination went total hardware, right? Everything hardware-based, you know, cars that are going to fly. Uh, back to the, what is it, the, what we call back to the future, right? That's what they talked about in 2015. They're going to have lots of fax machines and lots of cars. And cars are going to fly and the fax machine will be on the beach, you know? <laughs> Oh, gosh. Um, so, but, but what happened? The opposite has happened. Opposite is that we have this device that can connect us through worldwide at, at a fast speed. And there's going to be about 3 billion of those iPhones all around the world. And uh, excuse me, the smartphones. And these smartphones will be able to provide us with all sorts of functions, not just one right? Uh, taking pictures to sending that pictures worldwide is instantaneously, right? But on the other side, we never ended up in the moon. 
Um, so w- when people are going through that doubts and conspiracy theories and all this, uh, like what's going to happen in the future and should we keep AI contained or whatnot, mm-hmm. um, we don't know what's going to happen in the future. The future that we're predicting with AI machine learning, look, I'll be the first one to mention that I might be wrong, right? I might be wrong. This AI machine learning might not work out for us. Um, but there's a, there's, there's a higher chance of this AI machine learning working out than anything else, right? Because like we said, hardware is really hard to get a hold of versus software. We figured it out that software is much easier to deal with. As long as you have a semiconductor chips and some capabilities of doing machine learning locally and capture those data using the semiconductor chips. If, if I'm wrong on that, uh, I, I guess I'll have to be reborn in 50 years and slap myself in the back of my head. <laughs> um, but, but the reason I'm bringing all this up is because uh, when you capture an imagination, it matters who's in the room capturing that imagination. So as you're designing, you have to have human in the loop that you know Amy can bring to the table, Lucky can bring to the table, I can bring to the table. But if just three of us bring that to the table, that's a bubble that is going to be as bad as the movie Back to the Future, right? Uh, Back to the Future Part Two, where you know the, the guy traveled into the future and was traveling uh, on a flying car, right? Get it? Cool. But it didn't happen because uh, the the bubble that they were inside, the imaginations that they had, uh, was limited to the possibilities, right? Uh, I think it happens in natural order, like as in you cannot have enough opinion and feedback in order to. Uh, capture what could be in the future, what could be possible. But we just try and we try and go through the trials and errors and we do it right. So in, in, in the design phase, it's very important that we design not the topic that is most viable because we can sell the product, but to try and fail, but at least keep the door open for version two, version three, version four, reiterate those versions. So even if you use agile, which Look, I'm not a big fan of Agile, but at the same time, Agile has that uh, preparation to say like, look, you might create something, but we might take 75% away, keep 25% and rebuild on that 25%, right? We might keep doing that until we get to a satisfiable product. I mean, excuse me, not satisfiable, but like set, uh, a product that meets the standard, a product that meets our privacy requirement, our safety requirement, our security requirement, right? So uh, we, we do DevOps all the time. Now it's time for DevSecOps because we realize that, hey, DevOps and Agile is great, but once it goes to production, somebody comes in and hacks it. Well, let's start doing DevSecOps, right? So right now we do MLOps. We might start doing MLSec privacy safety ops. <laughs> you know, bring all this into the machine learning and include those pieces into the machine learning. Um, but by the way, I just want to throw out another book, uh, another, another book, but a movie, which is The Martian, right? Oh, yeah. The the team that has done the movie, uh, wait, am I saying the movie name Martian right? With Ma- yeah. Matt Damon, right? That's Martian. Yeah. The, yeah. That that movie, the 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 writer, the director, and and the team of people that have written that movie with the speculative like details, the details that are so amazing, was in that movie. They got it all right, like ninety nine percent of the time. Because that's how much detail they put in, the effort they put into writing that movie, the script of that movie. Um, so there's a big difference between when you write Back to the Future versus a, movie, uh, a, a book or a, sh- a movie like Martian. You, you have to get the details right. And people appreciate the truth, right? Um, mm-hmm. Even if it's not fantastical, you can always create a bare bone skeleton tool and people will still appreciate that because the possibility of building on that failed product is a lot, right? As in, 
you have to give yourself the room to fail and continue building. Uh, I, I'm just going to stop right there. It's a long rant. <laughs> yeah, so two, two follow-ups. One, the book was better. Um, the movie was excellent, but the book by Andy Weir was actually even right. more detailed and even more amazing. Um, That's right. But, but also, like, I think um, what you're what you're hitting on is one of the things that was super important to me during the the white paper with Act IAC, which is the whole idea of crowdsourcing for writing right. that white paper. Right. That was a crowdsource yeah. project where we brought in people with different perspectives and different expertise from all over, you know, government and industry and a couple of stray academics. You know, we we did all, we parceled it out. We did the research. We spent like, I don't know, maybe two or three sessions. And we're talking about hour long sessions here like just working on definitions, right? Just definitions, because getting mm -hmm. alignment on what the heck these words even mean is yep. kind of a critical foundation for having any kind of discussion. And then we pounded out, you know, our assigned writing sections, and then we sent it out for review, right? By other experts that other than us to get out of that echo chamber. And so while this is not a terribly practical approach in terms of speed, what it does do is invite other perspectives into the room so that you're not only like using your traditional edge case identification, right? But you're also bringing in the, the naive viewer, if you will, has mm -hmm. sometimes the best perspective, the best questions, because you're like, holy crap, I didn't think about that. <laughs> or you don't want to think about it because you don't want to answer the question. You're like, uh, I don't want to go down there until someone says, all right, let's shine a light on it. Plus one. Yeah. Exactly. And, and, you know, you bring up a lot of good points between the two of you. And and I'm kind of, you know, I'll uh, the area that I am kind of honing in on for me and stepping back because they're all great points. Yeah. You, you guys are all solid. But the privacy part that concerns me yeah. is we're we're so used to living a certain way. And all of a sudden they say, hey, guys, we're going to change the way we do business. Yeah, the culture It's going to take time for the culture to change. And so that being said, you know, what are the teeth? I, I, I and I hate to say the teeth, but what are what it's going to. There's going to it's going to take something for people to change the way they do business. And there's got to be teeth within the policy that's being developed for AI. Otherwise, you know, just define or, you know, a little slap on the wrist. It, it's just going to be hard to say, what are the teeth? They're going to point people and say, okay, you're not going to longer, you're no longer going to do what you do or continue down that road. You're going to do things right. And it's hard to change the culture is all I'm saying. In the U.S., in this area, the way we handle privacy and the way we should handle privacy are two different stories. And I would love to see it change. It's just that there's got to be something there with teeth and I, and, 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 you know, if it's just the fact that, you know, you, if you're doing the right thing for the right reasons and you're going to do your due diligence and that's, that's a story that we would all like to believe everyone does. But at the end of the day, dollars and cents speak more to people in business and they're going to take the shortcuts. They're going to do what they have to do. And so I, I look forward to privacy having some teeth. I just don't know how that's going to look. Yeah, so oh, that a couple, makes sense. 
a couple yeah. things on that. So <laughs> like for one thing, um, even even privacy doesn't necessarily mean the same thing to everyone, mm -hmm. right? So we're starting to see some generational right. differences where like digital natives, kids that grew up, like spent their entire lives in the Twitter sphere and on the Facebooks and whatever mm -hmm. else. I'm too old for any of that stuff, I'm afraid. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> you know, they, there's a very different perspective on how on how much privacy is needed right and so you the, the convenience of having instant access to your friends your boss whatever it is that's on the web you know that is more important to you in your daily life than the loss of that information about you and the other sure, thing that I think is important is to bring up the the privilege card right because if i'm if i'm trying to run a small business and i need facebook for that business right That's it right. almost doesn't matter then it becomes a question of my bottom line and my economics like it doesn't matter if i don't want the facebooks to have access exactly. to all my data That's i need right. that for my business to be successful and so i think you know, the, um, what is it, the teeter-totter back and forth between my personal incentives for keeping my data private versus my personal incentives for the benefit of whatever the service is, like those are constantly at odds right now. And that's a place where I think we need more, um, we need more information, we need more education, we need more clarity. And if there's going to be any teeth, then we need to start thinking about how do we put that in place? There was a, a book I read maybe a couple of years ago. I think it was called Habeas Data. That's at least part of the title. And it was an extremely exhaustive book about a lot of the legal arm of privacy and where it does and doesn't provide any kind of assistance. There were a bunch of really in-depth case studies and all that. And I highly recommend reading it to get a, a historical view on like even up to the Supreme Court, what has been reviewed from a privacy perspective and what hasn't. Yeah, I think if, if, if I may, you know, give it a shot, right? I, I want to make bring up two points, right? Uh, one is historical and one is just about, you know, how the nature of the world is, right? Um, one is, look, it's, it's honest word for me, uh, millions of people have to die in order for me to be here today, right? Mm -hmm. Millions of people have to die in order for me to be here. I had about 4,000 grandparents that had to come together in order for me to come alive 400 years later. So what I'm trying to say in the last 400 years, we had about 4,000 grandparents, right? Uh, a lot of people's privacy gets breached for me to have all the luxuries and uh, communications and technologies that I have today. A lot of people's privacy got thrown out the window, right? It happened. Uh, but going forward, we have other options that we can have. Right, other options, which is uh, how do we make it okay that somebody's privacy gets broken? Well, that's not a good statement. Nobody wants to hear that. But what happens is that synthetic data could create what we have done previously, which is a violation of people's trust, actually. And synthetic data to create the similar sort of data without having those uh, privacy being violated, right? Not anymore. Going forward in the future, we can capture the similar data, but include a new state of data, data that does not violate people's privacy. But you know what's done has already been done, but we have lots of understanding about our nature. And one of our nature, which is the second point, is that our nature trusts a group of people coming together to do something, and we trust that more because we find accountability in the gathering of 
let's say, you know, hundreds of people versus two people in a closed door behind the closed door uh, having to do something that, you know, we have to be uh, the users of or we have to be the beneficiary of. Because we don't know the conspiracy between two people, but when it's a gathering of like hundreds of people, we have some sort of sense in ourselves to say like, you know, uh, I trust this more than I trust these two individuals doing the work behind the closed doors, right? Um, and, and just to be in a, a nature side of things, like, you know, more people go to man-made creation like Times Square in New York City versus they go to somewhere in nature, right? Nature is not as well visited like it is in something of the man-made created uh, tourist destinations, right? And so, so, you know, people go to Egypt, people go to Paris, people go to New York City, because they want to see those man-made creation that they they don't know the numbers of people that put in their bloods and sweat into uh, developing those, but they have this sense that are like where the people are, that's where I want to be, right? So when we see the success of Google, Microsoft, Facebook, and all these big giant corporations that um, are, are you know somehow somehow associated with uh, privacy violations, uh, they they are the one that we gravitates towards you know that small startup that says like you know i got all the things that you need but you will never find out whose privacy i violated to give you that technology right mm -hmm. like say for example uh we can talk about tiktok you know all these other social media platforms that you know probably does violate a lot of people's privacy in order to give you that technology give you that entertainment um yeah. so i think i made my two points here but the point of it is that is uh is to understand our psychology behind it, right? Our psychology is just that. If we have a, a massive amount of people working on something together, uh, we'd rather trust that than to trust something that is obscure behind the door uh, that we don't know really much about who's being accounted for, who's accountable for uh, all this technology uh, that's coming out of that room, right? Um, so privacy is a delicate issue. Uh, it, it will not get solved overnight. But one thing we can do is, you know, bring that privacy awareness to the people so they can get involved in these privacy issues. They can voice their opinion and feedback on this privacy issue. But first, they have to be uh, have uh, they have to have the literacy on how AI machine learning has developed, right? Just like mm -hmm. Amy said earlier. Uh, oh, I don't want to talk about it outside this room because, you know, somebody might listen in or somebody might take my idea or somebody might steal it or something online of AI machine learning is just grimy evil, right? <laughs> well, it's not. It's just dirty old data that's cleaning itself and then all of a sudden presenting itself in a new outfit, right? That's all it is. Uh, it's still all data on the background. You, know, you can call it all the technology you want. Right behind the hardware is just a bunch of dirty data that's working through an algorithm and providing you with a uh, good source of whatever services you're requiring. Yes, but providing who? Oh, goodness. Yeah. <laughs> right. I mean, that's the crux of, that's the crux of it, right? Right. That's another crux of it. That's another yeah. side of the spectrum. <laughs> that's, that's part of I mean, that's why that's why you can't like it just it makes less sense to consider any of privacy, safety or security in a complete vacuum. Because all of those overlap and they overlap in the context of both the economics of the situation and the um, the benefit to the model. Right. A model itself is data hungry, right? It's gonna, it's gonna take care. It's gonna get. It's gonna take in everything it can to make itself better because that's how we wrote it, right? So mm -hmm. any data that is relevant, um, it will crunch and make itself better. And since we have 
little to no understanding for deep learning models, especially of what's happening in those hidden layers, it's very difficult to control. So the only thing that we can really do to mitigate that right now, there are a lot of good works being done on building more transparent types of models. However, mm. for a lot of the ones that are that we're, that we're working with right now, like what you got to do is you got to gatekeep the data that goes in. Because once it gets into the model, forget it, right? No, you're absolutely so, right. You're absolutely right. Whole lot of work, huh? Yeah, on yeah. that depressing note. Ay, 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 ay. Ay, ay, One of our other guests saying, with ay, 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 ay. A nice, a nice dirge. Ay, ay, ay. There you go. Yeah, I, I, uh, there you go, Amy. I, I knew it was going to be different than the first one. <laughs> but with that, uh, Amy, uh, thank you. Thank you so much for shining so many lights on these topics. Because look, mm -hmm. it, it, it only makes sense that you do it versus somebody who has a faint idea about it, right? You are the pro at um, these topics because you live and breathe it on a daily basis. Uh, we're, we're just the audience to see, you know, your work shine through your paper, uh, which we, you know, of course, going to publish with the link in the uh, podcast here. And people should be able to read it and get some sense of urgency why this is important and go back to thinking about why 83% of developed AI machine learning model does not deploy. And you can ask Google because Google has thousands of failed product that has never gone into production because of uh, something similar to these uh, questions and concerns that we're bringing to the surface right now. Um, so Amy, thank you. Thank you so much. Uh, uh, really want to thank you for, you know, taking your time on a Wednesday afternoon to join us or Wednesday evening to join us. Um, uh, so, Amy, I will give you the departing thought, and then after that, Lucky, uh, your departing thought, and we'll call it a day. Yeah, this is my pleasure. Thanks for uh, thanks for the invitation, and uh, check out the paper. It was a really incredible work, bit of work from a, a bunch of really smart and really dedicated people that are trying to, um, you know, help make AI more accessible and make the world a better place with it. Well, I'll keep it short, Amy. Thank you. Thank you so much. Uh, I've learned so much today and, and thank you for everything that you're doing. And, and it's great to have people like you in the industry. Uh, and, and thank you again for being our, our guest today. It's been an honor. Aye, 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 aye.